open our souls to feed on your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. If you could please stand with me now for the reading of God's word. The woman, you may read out loud with me. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. You may be seated. So I don't think I need to introduce our speaker for today. Uh, you know him. His name is Jeremy. But as the Lord moves us within his kingdom, um, I have a two-tale of my ministry. About 30 years of ministry that I've been in, not quite, 28 14 years with one church, and then spells of about three years with churches that were going through transitions or sick churches or churches that needed to be redirected. And I got to say, as much as we love each other and we are with the people, the best testimony that we can give is to him whom we serve and worship and I've asked him to say hey you know if you had a message for our church that the Lord put on your heart you know it would be a great place for the people of this church not only to remember you for your relationships and everything that you've done through worship and youth ministry and you know some administrative work but to remember you from something that the spirit prompted you to speak to us today and to exhort the church. So let's uh, give our time to Jeremy. Well, I am on Emmy's mic. Yeah, you got me going through. Um, I am thankful that Emmy uh, asked me to, to step in and, and kind of give one last word. Uh, if you would, you can turn to John 4 in your Bible. And... Uh, yeah, I've really appreciated, you know, since Emmy's been here in November, he's been a friend and has become a mentor and uh, to be given the opportunity to kind of speak one time uh, before, before we leave is, is a heavy thing. Um, so just know anything that, that we ever do from the pulpit, it, it's, there's a weight to it and there's a uh, wanting to do it right uh, by what God wants us to do, so... That's, that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, uh, first half, and we're just going to walk through. I'm going to pretend like you guys are a whole bunch of youth, that, and we're just going to do a youth group Wednesday night Bible study right here, right now. So we just walk through scripture uh, together and try to glean what is God trying to tell us today. Um, and when Emmy had asked me to speak, uh, just especially because he mentioned worship and just the phrase that kept uh, coming up in my heart and mind was, was Jesus' words saying about worshiping in spirit and in truth. 
And we see that, and it's one of the few times Jesus actually talks about worship, you know, even using that word. So I thought it'd be cool to jump in and, and let's look at that. It may not be what you expect from a music guy to, to talk about today, where we're going to go with it, but that's okay. We're going to go where Scripture dictates instead of what I think. So starting verse 1, or this first little section first, then we'll dive in. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. All right, so you know, first things first. Here's Jesus starting his ministry. Chapter 3, who does he talk with? It's a Pharisee. You know, famous guy named Nicodemus, right? So he just talked to Nicodemus, um, and we get the, the beauty of John 3.16, you know, from that previous chapter. Uh, and while he's here, the Pharisees hear about him making and baptizing more disciples than John. So, you know, Jesus is leaving the area because of the self-righteous. It's interesting, right? So he's leaving. There's no point to be here anymore. We're going to move back to Galilee. So he left Judea, departed again to Galilee. And then this verse 4 just has to stick out to you all the time. And he had to pass through Samaria. So any of you guys that have grown up in church know all the stuff. But we're going to rehash it for those of us that may have forgotten or may not know yet. So Samaria is the descendants of the northern kingdom of Israel, whenever Israel splits after Solomon. So you got the northern kingdom of Israel, the lower kingdom of Judah, right? So the northern kingdom in Israel is pretty consistent, always evil rulers that turn away from God and lead those people in that way. Uh, So when they are conquered and carried off, it becomes this area called Samaria, just over time. So this this people group that still exists in Samaria are like this half-breed. So they're Jews, but they've intermarried with pagans, and their worship has been tainted because they've started bringing in all these practices together. Uh, So the Jews don't think very highly of Samaritans. So the fact that verse 4 tells us he had to pass through Samaria, Jews would go around further to get to where they're going rather than go through Samaria. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And that should give us a little something right there. Um, there's no, excuse me, there's no boundary that, that he's not crossing to, to accomplish his goal. So verse 5 and 6, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field. Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we know that you know this is somewhere near Shechem. Remember, that's, uh, that's an area that Jacob was at in the Old Testament, as we've kind of already seen. I'm trying to think, where are we in our scripture reading? We're in Leviticus now. So we've read this in Genesis. So keep that in mind. This is the area of geography that we're visiting this morning. So he has to pass through Samaria. So he comes to this well, and he sits there. It's about noon. So we'll go for the next little segment, 7 to 10. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Right, I'm not going to get into the the woman too much, because a lot of stuff has been made from the time of day he's going, and that's not where we're focusing today. Um, But he asks her for a drink, and then she's kind of incredulous by this, right? So think, why would that be an issue then? You know, why? Because women didn't, weren't often uh, approached by men at that time. Remember, women are are of lower status, lower class, Um, and you definitely wouldn't approach a woman without her husband nearby, and you'd be talking to the husband. Uh, So here's Jesus talking to this woman, asking her for a drink, and then she even further brings up, you're a Jew, you're asking me to give you a drink, you don't even have something to pull from this well, so you're going to be using my pot that I'll lower in there, and that's a big no-no. You know, you're using something that an unclean person has used to fulfill your thirst, making yourself unclean. So here's this woman like, what are you doing? Come on, man, what is going on here? And Jesus answers, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and, we'd have, and he would have given you living water. All right, let's press on. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. All right. Here she is. She just heard from Jesus, the God man. If you would have asked me for a drink, I would have given you living water. And she's missing the forest for the trees. She's looking, she's hearing living water, and think of that, that, that phrase, we actually might have touched on it last week when we talked about baptism. In the, in the early church, the preference for baptizing was in living water, so moving bodies of water, right? So that is what she's thinking of whenever he's saying, oh, I would have given you living water. It's like, what are you talking about? We have this well, and you don't have anything to draw from. There is no living water. Where are you getting this living water? What are you talking about? This makes no sense. What's going on? She's missing it. She's missing everything he's saying. We'll come back to exactly what he's saying, but she's, she's missing it. She's focusing on the here, the now, the immediate need of, of physical water, and here's Jesus. Everyone who drinks of this water, in verse 13, will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So once again, he's bringing it right back to a spiritual thing, and she's focusing in on the physical. You you see that in her response. Give me this water. I won't be thirsty. I won't have to come here to draw water. It's easy to look at this woman, and we, we judge her for that. Like, man, how are you so stupid? Like, 
listen to what he's saying. But how often am I that guy that Jesus is speaking to very straightforward, telling me what he wants, telling me what he has for me, and I'm you know, over here in my own la-la land, just enjoying Jeremy world and losing it, you know, missing the point, losing that focus. You know, we've talked about uh, the children of Israel sitting at the mountain of God. You know, whenever Moses goes up and he's, he's with the cloud, so he's with the presence of God, and the people build a calf, right? The first thing they have to do, and, and Emmy did a great job of talking about this, they had to shift their focus. You know, as long as your focus is on the mountain of God where the presence of God is, that's your focus. That is going to be what you're, you're is dictating everything you do because you see the presence of God. You're following the presence of God. But they shifted. They shifted focus back to themselves, their own bickering, their own, you know, whatever you want to call it. And that's where the, the problems all start. It's that same thing when we're dealing with this. We lose that focus on what is God trying to show us here. And we start to focus on physical, uh, immediate um, those types of things rather than the eternal, what God's trying to do. So we need to go back one verse, in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What is he talking about? Gift of God and who's saying to you? He's talking about himself. He's like, I am that gift of God. He's not talking about a physical thing, a transactional thing. He's talking about a relationship. He's talking about a person that she can come to, that she can know, and that's all she needs. And, I, and he says, I will give you living water. And this living water, you'll never thirst again. You'll never need relationship outside of this. It's great to have those things, but that's, the relationship is the core of who you will become. And when you enter that relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So we move forward. Verse 16. So she just said, give me this water, you know, so I won't have to come here ever again. I won't have to be thirsty. And his response feels like a complete pivot right here. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Okay. You just offered her water. She just said, sure, I'll take your water. And then, all right, get your husband. She's been pretty talkative up to this point. And she answers, verse 17, I have no husband. Very short answer, right? Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Man. He's just cutting to the quick. Yeah. Because she's missed the whole fact that it's about a relationship, she can't understand why he's asking this question because this has to do with relationship completely. Um, and we can't have relationship without knowing each other, right? So I'd be a poor husband if I didn't know a lot of stuff about my wife, you know, that she's obsessed with Lord of the Rings. But I'd also be a poor husband if I didn't act on those things and get her cool Lord of the Rings stuff for Christmas and birthdays and stuff like that. So... <laughs> Uh, she got, uh, I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent. I got her uh, uh, the ring that Gladriel wears. If you're, if you're into Lord of the Rings, I got her that for Christmas. So she's geeked out about that. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, see, this is what it's like being in our youth group. It's, it goes every which way and you never know where it's going to go. Um, 
but he's talking about a relationship. And she's completely missing it. That's why he's cutting into, who are you really? You know, call your husband. Who are you really? And she, she diverts from this. Verse 19. She diverts from this. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Doesn't matter what Jesus just said. I'm going to go. I'm going to, okay, I know this, so let's, let's see what he has to say about this, this knowledge that I know. And, and see how we're going to move forward with this. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. That little phrase, you know, salvation is from the Jews, kept me for a second. And then you just think about it, where we've been in Scripture. The covenants, the covenants of promise that God has made from the beginning. Through whom is God going to bless all the world? Yeah, the seed of Abraham, right? So that's where salvation is from the Jews. It really, it stumbled me for a second, and then I'm like, oh yeah, this is where we're at. This is every time God makes a covenant, Abraham, Jacob, David, it just continues on, all pointing forward to Jesus. So that's what he's saying here. Like, you're worshiping in ignorance, we're worshiping what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Whew. What is he going to here? Is it, is it saying that when we worship God, we got to you know, be super spiritual, fall out on the floor, um, you know, speak in tongues, all these things? Is that what he's saying here? I, uh, I jest a little bit. Because we haven't read what he's actually referencing right here. We've got to go back to the end of chapter 3. So turn over to John 3.31. Yeah, it's a little dishonest. We started here, but really to unpack this, you've got to go back here. Because John the Baptist makes this statement, and it's like, that's exactly what Jesus is referencing. This is exactly what he's saying. And we miss it all the time. We don't go back to that previous chapter. We forget that the chapters were added way, way later. This was just one continuous scroll once upon a time. So let's start at verse 31, and we'll go through the end of chapter 3. He who comes from above is above all. So this is John talking about Jesus. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Again, talking about Jesus. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Hmm, we see Jesus mention something about truth. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Ah, spirit and truth, right there in John 3. And we always, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this preached, nobody goes back to John 3 on this. But that's where, what we're talking about here. It's God is true. And Jesus, who God has sent, utters the words of God, therefore he is true true. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, all of this, it's pointing all the way back to Jesus, the truth of who he is. And then God gives the spirit. 
Notice, truth comes before spirit, right? So unless, I'm sorry if I'm going on digressions and all over the place, this is how my brain works, so I just assume everybody else works with me like this. Um, so truth comes in the spirit. Now, we had this beautiful picture of the tabernacle that we've been talking about the past few weeks, right? Where the spirit brings us to that truth of who Jesus is, brings us to the cross, the atoning sacrifice, And once we've accepted that and moved past it, we receive that spirit, right? And all of this has to do, once again, with relationship. Now, you can take this and you try to twist worshiping in spirit and truth to be whatever you want. But what Jesus is talking about here is if we are going to worship the Father, the avenues by which we do it, the woman's talking about location. Jesus even said, those won't matter because there's going to be a day when you can't worship here. You can't worship in Jerusalem. We're in that day. I mean, you can't worship God in Jerusalem right now. Uh, you got a contested place where the, the temple is. But if you are going to worship God, he's not talking about a place. He's not talking about a song selection. He's not talking about anything else. He's saying you have to worship in spirit and in truth. That means without a relationship with God, There is no worship. That's why Sunday morning worship is so important when we come together, is this time, this hour, hour and a half that we spend together, isn't meant to be an evangelistic tool um, for the most part. It can be a byproduct. That's great when people come in, they can experience God's presence here. What this is, is this is a group of people who love Jesus, who are called according to his purpose, who are lifting our voices in song, in prayer, in giving, in the declaration of his word. That's what the true worship is. And then we can even push that a little further out to what Paul writes. You know, that what is our spiritual act of worship? Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, right? It's got less to do with what we do in this hour than what we do forget how many hours in the week there are other than this one. I'm not quick with math, so I'll let you guys do that. Um, But there are far more hours out in the week that we're supposed to be worshiping God by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice than the one hour we sit here together every week and declare to God who he is and what he's done for us. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful thing. But if that's all we're doing, we're missing it. That's not the true worship. That's a part of it. But it's not what it is. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's the moment for her. That relationship begins. She's acknowledged who he is. And one of the main things I want to point out is what follows. We don't have it up on the screen, but you should, uh, most of you will know the story, is that real relationship is contagious. It's that real worship that we do as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's contagious. This woman went, and everywhere she went, she was telling people, hey, come see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. You know, that was... The, contagious, the contagion of that relationship with God. And many Samaritans came to know Jesus because of this one woman. 
Jesus had to go to Samaria. There's a relationship that mattered. This woman needed a relationship with God. She needed to know what real worship was. She's trying to use that as a tool to throw him off. Jesus didn't take the bait. He just told her what the truth was. Look, without relationship, there is no worship. So if there's anything else that I want to leave with you guys, it's worship is an overflow of relationship. And that real relationship is contagious. Other people will see it. Other people will want it. Other people will come for that relationship when they see you living your life as a living sacrifice in your workplace, in your schools, wherever you are, you know, in the grocery store, in the restaurant. When they see real relationship, it doesn't make sense. They haven't experienced real relationship like that. You know, this woman tried to use knowledge, you know, as, as the, the point of, of her worship. You know, notice how she pivoted. She, he was bringing up relationship with, it, with her husband, and she went right to knowledge, like, hey, you know, we worship here. You say to worship there. It's all about knowledge. The knowledge means nothing. If I know, like I said, that my wife loves Lord of the Rings, and I never do anything Lord of the Rings for her, you know, I haven't let that impact my relationship. You know, if I know that she loves, uh, you know, Broadway musicals, yet I never take her to a show, then I haven't let my knowledge impact my relationship at all. If we know this is who Jesus is, one that doesn't let borders divide, um, that had to go to the place that everybody else avoided, um, that left the self-righteous to you know, go about in their self-righteousness to, to seek those that needed to be saved. You know, if that's who Jesus is and we let that impact us and how we live our lives, then that'll be a relationship uh, worthy of being contagious. So there may be some folks in here, as we wrap things up, hey, 15 minutes, I'm good. No, 25 minutes. Um, sorry about that. So as we wrap things up, I want to just point towards, there may be some folks in here that are like that woman at the well. You know, you've grown up around the knowledge. You know, you've grown up in church your entire life, so you know all the things. But it hasn't made the trip, you know, between knowledge and relational knowledge of knowing that the God who saves us, the God who wants to redeem us. You know, today is the day that can change. Um, the same Jesus who came to speak to that woman at the well came to live a perfect life so that he could take the punishment for our sin, everything we've done wrong, every thought that we've thought wrong, everything we knew that was right that we didn't do and we sat back instead. He took all of that on himself at the cross and paid the punishment for that. As we looked at the sacrificial system, innocent blood has to be shed and innocent life has to be shed to make us right. That's what it, atonement at one meant, you know, to be made at one with Christ again, at one with God. Innocent blood had to be shed, and that was Jesus in our behalf. But the beautiful thing is that he didn't stay dead. He's not dead. He's currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, awaiting to come and bring his bride home, bring us home. Amen. Amen. And there's some of us in here that we've been in church so long, we've done the work, 
I've been in this place. We've, meaning what I'm speaking about right now, not about this building. Um, We've done the work. We've worked hard. We've done things in Jesus' name. But we've left that relationship, knowledge. We've left knowing God in that way, and we've replaced it with doing. We've replaced it with coming to Bible studies and hearing things, and it never impacts who we are. Um, what God's saying this morning is, is what he says in, in Revelation to one of the churches, return to your first love. It's not enough to know the things. It's an intimate relationship with your Savior, with the creator of this world. So if that's you, that's where you need to be this morning. I've been here uh, and done that. <laughs> more often than I'd care to say in my short 33 years of life. There's a, a place here, an altar here for us to come to, to, to offer ourselves again before God and say, God, I'm yours. Forgive me for replacing real relationship with you with knowledge and real worship with you with songs or rote giving or whatever that is. God, without that real relationship with you, there's nothing it doesn't matter. It's all for nothing. So I'll invite you this morning, if, uh, if you'd like to respond, uh, I'll have Emmy come up and, uh, and be available, and, and we'll sing a song. Um, but let's pray, and as we're praying, we'll have our musicians come up. Father God, we thank you for this morning, for the example of Jesus that he had to go somewhere that most people avoided that he had to have this conversation with somebody that the fact that a conversation happened was outrageous and miraculous in and of itself. And that beyond that, you wanted a relationship with that woman at the well. Father, in the same way you want relationship with every one of us here. Father, so I pray that if there's anybody in this space, uh, anybody who's watching this, that hasn't committed themselves to you, that hasn't given themselves over to you fully, God, that you'll move them to pursue a real relationship with you um, through Jesus and through the blood that he shed on the cross, Father. God, if there's others in the space that have replaced that real relationship over time with knowledge, with service, with anything else, Father, you'll bring them to repentance. You'll bring them to admit where they've made an idol of knowledge. They've made an idol out of work. Father, you don't want that. You want real worshipers. You want real relationship. And that's where real, real worship flows, Father. Father, we, play your on, we pray that everything we've done, everything we've said, everything we've sang is honoring and pleasing to you. We love you. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You turn it.